Hey, did you just have a meeting with a donor and they told you something really, really important and you have no place to put it except for like maybe an Excel spreadsheet or, I don't know, a random piece of paper in your office? Go to DonorDoc.com. Get a CRM system that works. Get a donor database system that works. Get something that gives you beautiful reports and beautiful dashboards that even your crankiest board member will love. Go to DonorDoc.com. Use the code word "Do Good Better" at checkout and get a month free. DonorDoc.com. Your organization is awesome, but sometimes you want to be even awesomer. It's time to get your fundraising on with your host, fundraising expert and author, Patrick Kirby. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the official Do Good Better podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Kirby. And of course, we bring on guest experts to talk about a whole host of subjects that benefit the small and medium-sized nonprofits. I have a great one for you today. Um, I'm sure... A lot of things are on your brain. Uh, I'm sure that you might not have spent a great deal of time talking about responsive fundraising and hyper-personalization in your asks. Well, today we're gonna, and we're also going to talk about peer-to-peer fundraising. We're going to talk about donor retention. We're going to do it with the marketing manager over at Virtuous. Brian Funk is our guest on the official Do Good Better podcast. Brian, welcome. I'm so glad to have you here. Patrick, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Great to be joining y'all and excited for an expansive conversation together. It's going to be great. You've been on my list for a long time. We've had to reschedule at least twice. And so I feel bad about this. Uh, And I'm also in our pre-conversation. We've been caffeinated for at least several hours. Uh, So this is going to be super intense, super fun. Um, Talking about a whole lot of stuff today. So uh, if you are a nonprofit and you're listening, you're a nonprofit leader, um, get your, just kind of sit back, relax. This is going to be an all over rabbit hole digging conversation about donors, except before we get into that, people are scrolling through iTunes or scrolling to through YouTube. They see uh, virtuous Brian Funk. I like this. These are topics that I want to uh, have a conversation with. They don't know who the hell you are. So give people a 5,000 foot view on who you are, what you do, and why the heck we're talking about this today. Beautiful. Well, I think to start and just to level set before I even get to what I do at virtuous, um, I am a fundraiser by trade and at heart. I've been in the sector my whole career. Um, I feel really fortunate to just have worked with brilliantly passionate, talented individuals um, working like working for cause and mission that I have just deeply believed in throughout you know, just core tenants of my life. So um, I started my career at Invisible Children. Uh, Some of you might have heard of that organization. We were working to end a child soldier conflict. We did a little campaign called Coney 2012, uh, almost 10 years ago, which turned out um, it was sort of a grand accident. We were a team of, uh, I think the average age of someone on our team was about 24 at the time. We were young, we were passionate, we believed that we could do anything, and we uploaded a documentary film to the internet, and it got 100 million views in five days. And we raised more money in a week than we, we would usually raise in a couple of years. And um, it just, I got this full, deep plunge into the world of fundraising and development in a way that was grassroots, in a way that was really personal. Um And I'd say that those early experiences as a fundraiser, um, working on behalf of that cause, and especially working on behalf of a cause where, you know, we were advocating for 
saving people's lives who lived a half a world away. And something about the work that we were doing and the way that we showed up struck a chord with the world. And all of a sudden, millions of people came out of the woodwork and wanted to support what we were doing. They wanted to be a part of it. And the way that it changed my lens as a fundraiser really early on in my career was I realized like the magic of what we get to do. We're not just fueling mission critical funding. That is only a small piece of what we get to do. We get the joy and the honor and the magic of getting to walk in step with another human being who is trying to define their purpose. They're trying to find ways to use their talents and their skills and their network to make a difference in the world. And ultimately, like we're helping people craft their legacy. Like, what does my life mean? And that is a really vulnerable, intimate, beautiful space to be led into. And it's funny how we we forget that as fundraisers, right? I think we're so worried about the 10 million other things we got to do. That the number one thing that I think causes burnout and uh, regret or whatever other sort of negative value that we have as fundraisers of like, I don't need, I need to leave the space or I need to leave the industry or I need to leave this job is forgetting what your purpose is as a fundraiser because you're so worried about numbers and stats and red, yellow, green budgets and whatever the case may be, where you just said it beautifully, you're sitting next to somebody drawing up a plan for how they can make the world a better place. Yeah. And at the end of the day, the 18 year old kid that scrapped his piggy bank to get together 25 bucks to give to you is just as meaningful as the major donor that wrote you a $10,000 check. Yep. Um, that, that like, that comes from the same place in someone's heart and soul. And that is the beauty of fundraising. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I, I'll, I'll wrap up my 5,000 foot, pitch and just say that, you know, it's been a joy to be in this sector. Um, and it's also led me down a path to realize that in order to do the, our work well, we need a combination of a few different things. And I mean, first and foremost, I mean, good old fashioned back to basics, human connection, like people showing up with people is, is a part of it. But the other part too, is we need the right tools in order to be able to grow in a sustainable way and to fuel our mission in a sustainable way. And we also need access to the data in order to utilize our tools, but also on how to utilize our human connection. Um, You know, we, you know, so that led me to Virtuous and Virtuous is, um, you know, we're a software company and we offer a suite of fundraising tools and solutions that help the nonprofit sector grow generosity. And, what I get to do at Virtuous is, you know, I'm in a marketing position, um, the marketing manager, but even though I'm in marketing, uh, I get to exist at this really great intersection where I just get to come together with nonprofit leaders. And I don't necessarily, you know, I'm not necessarily talking about software directly. Like we are getting to the heart, strategic, tactical issues and challenges that people face. And we're here to say, you know, how can we help you navigate it? Um so it, it feels like a privilege and an honor to, you know, have watched my, my own evolution in the space. And um, it feels great to just be in a place where I can just say, how can I help? How can I help you? I think it's a, it's a great transition to talk with uh, the how can I help you and how to relate better to your donors using software technology or just the, the, 
forward thinking or, or thinking in front of your brain to say, how can I make this as personalized as possible so that I don't sound like a robot. I don't sound like somebody who's just got his hand out or her hand out to say, uh, please give me money. This is the only way I'll be able to keep my job kind of mentality. And I wanted to kind of kick off our conversation to responsive fundraising and to the small and medium-sized nonprofit, the idea of capturing data and having conversations in order to hyper-personalize or hyper, um, you know, get into the weeds with what a donor wants seems overwhelming Mm. because I don't have the time to do it or so that one thinks. And again, again, I think technology is a great avenue to use this, but outside of technology, what can we start talking about to not have that be the default answer to a nonprofit, somebody in the small and medium sized nonprofit to like, I don't have the time to do this. Mm-hmm. Or maybe let's define it first and then let's talk about why you shouldn't dismiss this as something that's not worthy of your time, this hyper you know, responsive personalization in the fundraising world. Man, that's a juicy topic. Sure is. And <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of ways we could go with that. And I think the first thing that I would say is I would just do a quick level set on, you know, like I know yeah. that, you know, whoever's listening, I know you're busy. I know that the pressures are real, uh, it, it, you know, and that you, f- you probably feel stretched really thin. And the thought of like hyper-personalizing and using that time to go even deeper probably feels really overwhelming, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and I would go back to kind of the initial point around um, like the, the, beauty and honor that we get being able to walk in step with donors is like, we also just have to put ourselves in our donor shoes. And the reality is that our donors are living in a hyper-personalized world. Like, and, you know, they sit down on the couch at night and you open up Netflix and Netflix is hand delivering personalized content based upon your viewing behavior and preferences. You then go and, oh, oh, you know what? It's been nice watching Netflix all Saturday morning, but I'm going to run down and go get a coffee. And you hop into the car and you turn on Spotify and all of your music selection, perfectly tailored. (laughs) And then a package arrives at your door later in the day from Amazon. It's just this like, right? Like consumers are living in a highly personalized world. And, you know, and the nonprofit sector is usually a few steps behind you know, where consumer trends are and we got to play a little catch up to be honest. And, um, so that, you know, that's like what, that's, what's at stake. And I would say that, you know, I wouldn't say that it's a nice to have, I would actually press that it's, it's mission critical. Mm -hmm. Um, because we're also, you know, we're, we're bleeding donors, you know, like donor retention is at an all time high floating between 76 and 81%. Um, sorry, um, attrition. Yeah. So, you know, we're struggling to retain our donors and they're not coming back to us because we're speaking to them at mass. It's not personal. And, um, you know, like our job is to elevate helping our donors see themselves in our mission in a really personal way. So that's, that's just, that's the table stakes. And to get to your question, I would say that like being personal and being hyper-personal doesn't, I, 
you know, I don't want people to feel overwhelmed around, oh, I don't have the right system or the right tool or my team's not big enough. That's okay. There is so much power in just taking a step back, taking a deep breath and slowing down for a minute and literally just asking yourself, what can I do right here and right now? And that means, you know, who are the 20 donors I need to call in the next 90 minutes? And just make that your focus, make that the focus. Like, you know, we are in the business of the compound effect and that's little, small, minute, everyday actions that take just a few minutes of your time compounded over time are going to make a massive impact for your organization. And so I would just sit back and ask yourself, what can you do right now? What's the phone call you need to make? What's the personal note, handwritten letter you need, you need to write, you know, like even, you know, what's the intentionality behind, you know, whatever system you do have, like, how are you tracking the milestones and ongoing life events within, you know, your current donor base? Um, Something we did pretty brilliantly well at Invisible Children was um, we had a team of interns. It was a team of about 20 interns. They were called the engagement team. Mm. And this engagement team, um, was responsible. The only thing they did was they spent eight hours a day on the phone and texting our supporters and, um, and literally checking in on them and asking, Hey, you know, I I know that you had this big family celebration coming up. How'd it go? You know, how'd the big Tesco that you had to pass? Oh my gosh, you got a promotion. Like let's celebrate and, you know, and dropping a card in the mail, you know, just, little, little, little things that help people be seen and heard. And, you know, that's ultimately like what every human's asking, you know, outside of being a donor, do you see me? Do you hear me? Does what I say matter to you? If there's a, if there's a thing to take away from that as a small, medium sized nonprofit, it's a couple of things. It's not a thing. It's a couple of things. One, it's your personalization and your hyper-personalization to a donor is a thank you note. It is a phone call. It is picking up and saying, instead of the mass email that I'm going to send out every Friday, it is picking somebody out and saying, hi, Brian, mm-hmm. thanks for so much uh, for your generosity or hi, Brian, uh, this is what your gift has helped do. Mm-hmm. Thanks for your gift of whatever, right? So that's as simple as it, as it takes there. The other thing is, is that I think of a lot of organizations, even in COVID, um, maybe had volunteers who no longer can do X, Y, and Z. Well, your example of Invisible Children and their fundraising, their you know their successful uh, fundraising follow up team is a bunch of volunteers or interns who just made phone calls. Think mm-hmm. about. You don't have to lift up and cook dinners or meals or pack up stuff. All you do is get to pick up the phone and say, thank you. That's Mm -hmm. a pretty cool volunteer role. And there's a lot of people who want to celebrate wins. Like that becomes your job is to just cheerlead. I bet you can get a lot of volunteers or at least a handful of people who would be willing to do that. And even if you have a board of directors that refuses to fundraise, or I don't know how to fundraise, or I don't know any people, which is the excuse that a lot of people, the board gives, is, okay, if you don't know anybody, I'm going to give you a list of names and please call them just to say thanks and check in to see how they're doing and, and appreciate them for being a part of your mission. Mm-hmm. Now your board has something to do. You get them the, uh, <clears throat> the ability to help with this hyper-personalization and any notes they take, you get to put into whatever system you have, cocktail napkin, giant note card, whatever the hell it is. And then that becomes part of your follow-up conversation whenever that is later down the road 
to know when you called, what you talked about, what to do next, et cetera. Mm. That's, that's your basics of the basics, which doesn't not require any giant software piece. So if you had to get a software, I think virtual would be fine. Uh, but it doesn't <laughs> require any of those things. It just takes you to reframe your brain, knowing that a lot of other groups are personalizing. So you have to as well. Yep. 100%. Absolutely. 100%. And also just, just I, I love what you said about your the board. You know, that's like, that's a massive challenge. And also like, there's even personalization there where- right. You know, um, yes. to be honest, ideally, you know, your board should be fundraising with you and for you. Um, and sometimes you have to you have to tailor to people. And yes. sometimes that means that, like, you know what, you know, maybe one of your board members is an incredible networker mm. and like take 20 minutes of your time to put together sample language, you know, a couple sample resources that helps them feel equipped to utilize that skill. And now you're exponentially reaching people just because of that one person, right? So, um, you know, there's personalization there too, where, you know, like we need to take into account, you know, from our volunteers, from our donors, from our supporters, like what are their strengths? Like what are their talents? Where do they lean in? Mm -hmm. And then we can really start to be able to, again, like lean into that compound effect where, you know, um, a lot of people ask sometimes like, you know, how do I, how do I get more 18 to 35 year old donors? Um, it's a common question. And, and I would push back and say, well, you know, don't know if that age range is really in a place to be, to be giving, but, um, their social capital is incredible. Um, so how are, how are we equipping people to not just give with their treasure? You know, how are we equipping people with their time and their talent? And I think you can have the excuse of like, I don't know if I, I don't know what ask to make. Well, make an ask that's not monetary. You know, make an ask for uh, a new name, make an ask for a meeting, make an ask for, hey, would you share this? Hey, make an ask for, would you go on Google and review our nonprofit? That takes zero dollars, a wee bit of time and can make massive impact in the long run. And that, and that will help with your donor attrition problem, which you mentioned at the top of your sort of statement is the 70, 75% attrition rate with donors, which is God awful. And that is a major issue. Now I know it is the middle of our uh, spring when this, uh, you know, this uh, podcast gets released and we usually don't think about donor attrition until we have a holy crap moment towards the end of the year going, where did all of our donors go? And we're so far behind, we better get on it sort of thing. Now is a great time to talk about this because they can do something about it in the meantime. So you don't have to have a panic moment. What is leading to this donor attrition rate that seems to be growing rapidly every single year? Mm. Yeah. So I, I'd say the first thing, there's a couple notes here. Um, that's real. One is really interesting is, you know, um, there's the yearly rate. And then if we look at, what donors were lo losing over a 10 year window in the last 10 years, we've lost about 25% in the industry. We're losing mid to low tier donors. We're losing mid to low tier donors. Um, and generosity in the last couple of years is actually technically up. Yeah. And what this tells us is actually um, we're doubling down on major givers. And the reality in our sector and the, the generosity crisis that we're facing is that 
our, our top one to 10% of givers cannot carry and sustain social good. <laughs> um, and, and so we have to ask ourselves, why are we losing the $25 donor? Um, and so, you know, and, and ultimately it's because we're not treating them in the same way that we're treating a major donor. And, you know, of course, like, it's probably not realistic to wine and dine a $25 donor, <laughs> right? No. But we can still communicate to them in a way that feels a little bit more personal. Um, and we can have some more intentionality behind that. We can pick up the phone more. Um, you know, how many of us only call our donors that give less than $250 a year? Like, do you call them more than once a year? Do you call them? Uh, you know, like, are we calling them and just saying thank you? So um, we need to give a little bit more tender love and care to our mid to low level donors because um, we're losing them. And your found, your found, yeah, your foundation of those is where you're going to grab your next generation of bigger donors anyway. Yes. So if you're not fostering that, if you're not planting seeds, if you're not, you know, maintaining, you know, garden status there uh, where you're tending to your $25, $150 donors, when they come into money or grow their business or have a windfall or become you know, successful or become so into your organization that they dedicate all of their other donations to your organization, if you're not paying attention to them, they're going to go find somebody else who is. Yep. The other thing too, is if you are relying on big donors, big donors only, or you're only relying on grants and you are a single legged stool is a very delicate thing to balance from. And if that goes away, if they go away, if you rely on two or three big donors and one of them dies, one of them finds out that uh, they don't really like your organization anymore. Now, what do you do? Now you're screwed unless you are paying attention to the larger picture of that next generation of donors. And additionally, it also puts them, you, you're giving your major donors more weight in decision-making for programming and services than your other donors that are making up the bulk of whom supports you and your organization. And one person cutting a large check does not have the influence to make you meet new people who have the capacity to give just like that person mm -hmm. um, rather than sort of focusing on that. Yeah. Ugh. I love that. You sparked two thoughts in, in that riff. And one is, is that, um, thinking about the up and coming generation of givers. Um, and I'm kind of taking into consideration consumer trends. If you don't have a way to have someone make a monthly gift on your online donation form, make that a priority as soon yeah. as possible. Yeah. Um, because we have a generation of givers that are coming up and they also purchase everything by subscription. They are paying monthly for everything. That is the consumer mindset right now. And we are actually at Virtuous. We're seeing many of our customers um, actually like when a donor comes forward and says, hey, I, I want to write you a $150 check. We actually have organizations that are pivoting away from that and saying, you know what? Don't write us a, don't write us a $150 check. Why don't you just give us 35 bucks a month? And, you know, and, and, and now we're, now we're going into solving our retention crisis, right? We're, and the other piece of that is I would say that 
you know, recurring giving and building a monthly donor base um, is a really beautiful way to double down on mission with your donors. Um, And I'd say like, that's another critical piece. Like we need to close the distance between our donor and their impact. Mm -hmm. And like, we need to be like, from the point of first gift, um, the next time they hear from us after a thank you needs to not be another ask. Like we need to be telling stories. We need to be telling uh, like heartfelt stories and we need to be closing the distance on impact. And we need our donor to see themselves um, not just as a giver, not just as a funder of a program. Like we need to elevate them to feeling like a partner, like they are in it with us. And um, I think that month, like in terms of talking to a personalized segment of donors, even if you have a small recurring donor base, like 20 to 30 people, um, you have people that are giving regularly and you have opportunities to communicate to them regularly in a really personalized way around the impact of their giving. Um, I think that's a beautiful opportunity that feels like feels manageable, feels like low hanging fruit. And I'd even go on to tell a quick story and say, um, I was at a nonprofit years ago called to write love in our arms and to write love in our arms, the, the origin of what they do, they're, they're a wonderful mental health charity. Um, the majority of what they do is they sell t-shirts. They're actually a merchandise nonprofit. They sell t-shirts and supporters wear their t-shirts because of how deeply connected their mission is to people's personal stories. And when I came onto the team, um, I helped them really kind of launch and grow some of their early fundraising programs. And we said, okay, we're going to launch a recurring donor program. We had no recurring donors. We had, we had nothing. We were, we were building from scratch and We did something a little counterintuitive and we said, you know what, let's launch a recurring donor campaign. Uh, It was in 2014. So we did a 14 day campaign to start 2014. And we said, uh, we're going to launch it on January 1st, right after giving season, you know, like right after that giving season rush. And we said, you know what we're going to do for 14 days? We're just going to talk about if you sign up as a recurring donor, this is the impact that you're going to make in 12 months. These are the lives you're going to change in 12 months. This is the difference that you make. And in our first round of solicitations, we got 120 people signed up and um, it generated an annual revenue, $35,000 a year through hundred people. And, um, and that feels so manageable uh, as opposed to getting overwhelmed around like needing, I need to build this big program and there's a launch. And it's like, no, just start small, you know, um, you know, if you, if you want to launch something, like make a list of the 200 people that you need to call and ask and take a couple of days and just call them and say, you know, Hey, for a small amount every month, here's the difference that you can make over the course of a year. And we'd love to have you in it with us as a partner. Sally Struthers had it right back in the late eighties, early nineties anyway. Right. So like pennies a day, you get to do this, right. They yeah. have that thing down to a science. And now I think you just need to update some of those things. What you said sparked something else too. And these recurring gifts is that you change, if you change your mentality for recurring revenue coming in and you're saying, Hey, 35 bucks a month or 12 bucks a month or whatever you've decided as your nonprofit, like you get to do this, the risk of you chasing dollars to fund small projects here and there reduces greatly because now you're not going to these individuals and saying, Hey, for, for this amount of money, we'll, we'll do this program and this service, right? 
Now you get to go back to them and say, collectively, we raised this amount of money to make this amount of impact rather than we need to raise $35,000. Let's come up with a program and let's go raise money for that. And now you're chasing that program down this rabbit hole. And like, wait, another $12,000 here. Let's go raise money for this thing, $12,000. It becomes, you're now building a wave of momentum by eliminating your need to create something out of nothing. Mm-hmm. And you're getting them into a system where it will automatically remind you on where they've started and where they've come and what impact they've made. And it eliminates the amount of time you need to create brand new stuff. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Save your time organizations everywhere. Um, I, I love that as a conversation. I love the tangible pieces there where you get a hundred people at a 35 bucks, 35 grand, like that, that type of, resource in the back of your brain going, yeah, this is not developing a 10,000 purse donor list that, you know, creates whatever that system is not manageable or creatable for a small, small, medium-sized nonprofits. However, what you said, like, let's get a hundred people to do this. That seems a lot more manageable. That seems a lot more doable. If you just pick up the phone, which by the way, I love you mentioned several times, this technology we have sitting in our pockets is what it's for. Damn it. Um, <laughs> I like it. Um, moving to a, um, a summer topic. Um, mm. A lot of organizations either have walks or uh, golf events or things that rely on peer-to-peer fundraising. That is a mystery to a lot of organizations because it's complicated or we think it's complicated. And uh, we think it's going to take a lot of time. Uh, but the advantages of putting a peer-to-peer fundraising program together at your organization are so outweigh those mysterious and made up often fears of putting those things together like exponentially. So can you walk me through kind of to demystify or not confuse a small, medium-sized leader who's just like peer-to-peer fundraising, ah, too much work. Mm. That's not the case, right? Not the case. Walk me off the cliff, right? Not the case at all. Um, Just opportunities for exponential reach in a way that you won't ever get pushing out emails to your list of 50 or 100 or 300 subscribers, right? You know, like... We need we need a way to reach more people, and in in a way that's organic and meaningful. And there's nothing more powerful than having a supporter that acts to a conduit that steps forward and says, "I, Brian, really care about this issue, and I'm fundraising on behalf of this issue, and I'm going to try to raise." And it could be something as like, "I'm going to try to raise a thousand dollars," but in order to do so, and in order to make it manageable for the peer who's fundraising for you, mm-hmm. maybe that just means, you know what, I just, I just need 20 people to donate 50 bucks. Boom. And, yep. and not only have you raised a thousand dollars through, um, through a, you know, through a connection point, you've also acquired 20 new donors. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd also call out a massive mistake and something that you should be ready for is donors that come into peer-to-peer folks, folks are often even big organizations. I've worked with large charities that are so afraid to touch and communicate their 
uh, like third degree of separation donor that comes in through a peer-to-peer campaign. Call them, thank them, call out the peer that brought them in, like explore your connection. Like you have a shared connection point through another human, not alone, like let alone the cause. So we have this like rich connection point where it's like, whoa, like nothing is more exciting to me than ending a peer-to-peer campaign and being like, whoa, like just through 10 people fundraising for us, we now have a hundred new people that we can build relationships with. Do not be afraid to call them. Um, and, and, you know, if you can manage it, it's hard, but like as a rule of thumb, um, you know, I make sure a peer to like a peer to peer donor gets a call within 24 hours. I just like it, you know, first thing I do when I walk into the office in the morning, who donated through peer to peer campaigns last night? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and of course that's like, if you're doing it digitally, but, uh, and there's lots of wonderful, wonderful tools and resources that are very low cost um, where you can set up a digital peer-to-peer fundraising page and a fundraiser can make their own fundraising page and they can be off to the races. So um, there's, there is low hanging fruit there. Um, And we often, and we often say on the show that third party endorsements is exponentially more important than first party solicitation always. Right. It is expected of you as the fundraiser to go and ask people for money. It is unexpected to have somebody on your behalf saying they love this organization so much they're going to go out and ask on your behalf. Right. And if you don't think you can fundraise peer to peer, uh, ask your five year old kid or your six year old kid or your three year old daughter who has to go raise money for gymnastics like we do currently. Yes. There's nothing, by the way, there's nothing worse as a dad who now has a daughter who and kids who need to go fundraising. And I get the pack of the mail. I'm like, oh, God. Mm-hmm. And, and I know, I know that they're looking at me. Oh, no, that's Kirby's kid. He needs to go fundraise for those things. And I know I just don't like it. I'm watching my kids do it. And it's brilliant because they are so excited about talking about their gymnastics to other people. Yeah. They're fundraising for it. And then somebody says, are you liking gymnastics? And then my daughter says, yes. And she then talks about her tumbling and their, her new leotard she gets to wear and blah, blah, blah. It, you're not doing it as the, you know, as a parent who's, who's supposed to be doing the fundraising, you have your daughter, you know, mouthpiece out there talking about how excited they are to participate and fundraise for fundraise, like a six-year-old, and he, right? Do and that. Fundra- yeah, that's the name of the podcast. Fundra- that's like- the name of the podcast. That's what it is. <laughs> um, you you bring home an awesome point too, because here's the other thing that we need to do a better job of that peer to peer helps us do. We don't do a great job listening to our donors, mm. and when you hand the megaphone over to a donor to use their time and talent and their networking to fundraise for you, you get to see them share their story. You get them sharing their passion with people that they love and care about. And this is an opportunity to do multiple things at once. We're not just fundraising. We're also learning. We get to listen. We get to be now we need, we now get to step to the sideline and say, oh, wow, I didn't know that about that donor. Or Brian, Brian, to double down on your point, not only do you hear what people say about your organization, you hear how they say it and learn new talking points on what other people think about you. You don't take any time that as an organization say, okay, what are people talking about us about? Like what, what do people say about us? Mm-hmm. 
hand the microphone over to somebody to go and promote on your behalf. And you're sure as hell going to figure out what they're saying, what they love about you. And you probably haven't been saying that about yourself because why would we want to praise our own stuff? Right. We, we, Oh, celebrating is for the birds, right? That's bragging. You're watching somebody in real time and listening to somebody talk about how amazing you as are as an organization. I bet you pick up tips and tricks and pointers and talking points from somebody who's just excited to be a representative of your organization. Yes. And the other thing too is, you know, like on the marketing side, like, are you worried that your marketing is like dry and lacking lust, like lackluster and not personal? Elevate your donor. You now have, you now have beautiful, powerful stories about your donors that you can elevate. Um, I mean, just incredible. Uh, And, you know, it even, man, now I'm like jogging down memory lane. Like some of my most powerful, deeply moving experiences with supporters were through the peer-to-peer lens. I mean, um, I'm going to tell another story about Invisible Children. You see a thread here. Um, I have deep love for this organization. They changed my, they, they, you know, we are changing lives in Central Africa. They changed my life, man. Um, I, I worked with a lot of high school supporters and college supporters and uh, all of them, you know, raised money through peer to peer. We would on average, again, we were a bigger organization, but on average, we'd get about 1500 to 2000 kids between the ages of 15 and 25 fundraising peer to peer. And we'd raise anywhere between 1.2 and 1.8 million. Amazing. It's just amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I worked with, a, I did like a speaking engagement for the organization. And this kid at a high school, this kid in the audience um, runs up to me afterwards in tears. He's crying. And I pulled him aside and created a safe space and asked if he was okay. And he shared something really vulnerable and beautiful with me. And he said, you know, I'm a, I lost my sister a couple months ago and he said, but I just learned about your organization today. And it's, it's the most purpose that I've felt since I lost her and I want to help. And he like refound his voice and his vitality for life and like honored his sister through fundraising for us. And this kid went on to raise like $10,000 for us. It's just beautiful. Like little 16 year old kid who, had never even fundraised before. He just, he just like put his heart out there and his is beautiful. It was like one of the, one of the more moving things I've ever seen. Um, and so I'd also just encourage you, like, don't underestimate what, what your people can, how, how willing your people are to come in with you and help. And, and what an amazing ask that doesn't require any money than to ask some of your supporters or champions or super fans to um, ask them for their voice or their endorsement, right? That costs them $0. You don't make an ask. It doesn't come out of their checking account, but it comes out of why they give in the first place. What a beautiful ask. And it's still an ask. And they still say yes, which means you then became a vital part in them growing as a person or as their ability as a fundraiser, right? Without having them spend a penny. And now you can be a fundraiser and not ask for money. That's a really good example of how, and you now endorse them endorsing you, you empower them to be a champion on your behalf and they become a raving fan forever because you gave them that opportunity much to the story that you just told about that kid. You're giving them an opportunity to use their enthusiasm 
to fill either a personal gap or to say, I can do this, or I've got an ability to do this. I've got a network. That's pretty, that's pretty darn cool. Uh, we're coming to the end of our podcast, which is ridiculous because that went really quick. Not to have you back because we haven't even touched like 28 topics that we talked about even in our pre-show. Uh, so we'll have <laughs> an episode here. Um, but one of the things I want to make sure that we mention is like, how do people get a hold of you if they're interested in sort of having virtuous provide some of these solutions, right? So uh, we talk about automating time. We talk about having uh, the ability to do some of these things. Well, we're bogged down with about a billion and a half different things that we've got in the hopper that doesn't allow us necessarily to take the maximum amount of time to build the maximum amount of relationships. Virtuous does this beautifully. And how do we, well, what are some of the solutions that Virtuous gets? I'll set the table for you there. And then how do they get a hold of you so they can follow up with questions on how you can help. Beautiful. Thanks for teeing that up. I've, I've actually got a few things before I even talk about like our solutions and what we do. Um, I would say that like, we are, a, we are a team of nonprofit transplants, um, passionate people who really care about helping our sector. And so we also, we are on a week to week basis, always providing in-market opportunities for you to come to the table and learn about the tangible strategies and tactics that you can walk away with and implement right now, today, wherever wherever you are. So if you go to the Virtuous website, um, it's just virtuous.org. Um, we have, and I can, you know, Patrick, I can send you this link so you can share with your audience, but we do an event every Thursday called the Responsive Weekly. We bring together fundraising leaders and every week, and sometimes we bring in a guest or an agency partner or another thought leader, and it's a different topic every week. And I kid you not, we like last week, our responsive weekly had about 120 fundraising leaders on it, and everyone collaborates and discusses a certain topic or challenge. And we just spend 30 to 45 minutes just chewing through that challenge. Um, and it's become a wonderful, rich space. And so you know, if you'd love to be a part of that, we'd love to have you. It's open to anybody. And, um, you know, and, and and so that's a great space just to get really tangible takeaways and hear about what other people are doing um, and to workshop your challenges in community with fellow fundraisers. The other thing that I'll, that I'll say is if you go to virtuous.org backslash responsive, uh, we have a free responsive fundraising playbook. It's got 28 plays that you can implement today to get more personal with your donors. And so really easy, really tangible takeaways. You download that. And um, again, it's just like one of our many free resources that we provide folks. Um, and if you wanna learn more or you wanna actually see what the platform does, um, you can always take a demo, um, which you can get right on our website. Also, if you wanna email me personally, I'd love to connect with you. So my email's Brian, B-R-Y-A-N-F, Brian F, at virtuous.org. Um, so send me an email and I'd love to talk and would love to say, hey, and um, we're helping nonprofits in a range of ways. And, and, you know, we, so we do this again, just like generally for the sector in the ways that I just mentioned, but, you know, we also are, you know, we have a wonderfully innovative software and um, I, as a fundraiser have seen over the years um, that the tool that you have in your hands can be a massive differentiator in how you're able to operate. And 
you know, generally at a really high level, I think one of the, one of the things that we've learned and seen about our customers is customers that our customers that use virtuous, they're actually getting back 20% of their time. So the software is actually allowing them to spend more time fundraising and less time dealing with their database, which is the dream. Like we want to unlock fundraisers being able to fundraise. Uh, and we do that through um, our tool is heavily automated. So we have a CRM that has built-in automation tools. Um, and we also have donor tracking behavior. So we can actually track through our system uh, where your donor is spending time on your website. We can pull in their social media data and information and learn more about their interests. Um, you know, and that also factors in um, wealth data. So we can actually pull in information about where your donor lives, um, you know, what their estimated wealth is, what their giving capacity is. And we bring in all of these factors and can actually automate back office tasks for you to say, hey, John Smith just spent three minutes on this part of your website. You should probably give them a call today. And you don't even have to think about it. The system just says, hey, get on the phone. Um, instead of you being buried in an Excel spreadsheet, you know, we're helping you be more responsive. Like, you know, that's the heart and intention behind, behind what we're doing. So um, it's a CRM. Um, it's a automation tool for tasks. There's also marketing automation so that you can segment your communications and speak to donors more personally through email. Um, and also donation forms and, and giving folks a seamless giving experience. So that's just a, a quick overview of some of our solutions and how we're helping nonprofits build deeper relationships, generate more revenue. And I think the other piece is like, give you back your time. So you can actually do what you love to do when you signed up to be a fundraiser, which is fundraise and build relationships and connect with human beings. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what we're in the business of. We're here to help increase generosity for the nonprofit sector. And it's an honor to do so. We'll have every one of those links in the show notes. So make sure you click on all of them, get all those free resources. And then of course, go say hi to uh, Brian and make him uh, hop on a call with you because then you'll be as entertained as I am when I pick up the phone and chat with Brian as well. So it's uh, it's a great, and he's just a, what, such a wonderful resource. Uh, and so uh, full of ways to connect other people and other organizations and other things. And, and just to make you a better fundraiser, um, there are... Uh, there are very few people that I would just randomly like connect somebody with uh, if they needed a resource and you're one of them. So I appreciate you for that. And again, I mean this in all sincerity, this is, we have not even scratched the surface with conversation. So I'm sure we'll have you back uh, for a secondary episode. Brian, thank you so much for being a guest on the official Do Good Better podcast. It has been a pleasure, my friend. Beautiful. Thanks for having me. It was an honor. It was a lot of fun. And like you said, we just barely scratched the surface. I know. So. Let me know when uh, when I re need to refill my coffee mug and we can come and have some more fun. Done and done. Check you later. Thank you. Bye. Look, as someone who listens to the show, you know that I love helping small and medium-sized nonprofits. That's why we bring on the awesome experts and guests that get to talk to you about how to make your organization more awesome. So I've got a deal for you. I would like to help you. I would like to work with you. So if you go to dogooduniversity.com, that's 
do good, Youuniversity.com, and you register for one of the courses, I'm going to send you my best-selling book, Fundraise Awesomer, a practical guide to staying sane while doing good for free, because I really want you to do amazing work. Listen, dogooduniversity.com. Go pick out something, whether it's a board training or a gratitude training or whatever webinar you want to choose. Um, use the promo code podcast. Take 25% off of anything that you purchase. And I'm going to throw in a book as well because I want you to do awesome. I want you to do awesomer. And I want you to do good better. Go to dogooduniversity.com today.